This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, October 13th. Coming up, why some advocates are accusing Missouri's Attorney General of attacking academic freedom in schools. But first, some headlines. Former Kansas City, Kansas police detective Roger Golubsky was back in federal court in Topeka yesterday. KCUR's Peggy Lowe reports prosecutors are amassing reams of evidence in a case that will likely expand. Prosecutors say they already have 36,000 pages of evidence in the case, which they say is significant. And they say that that could grow given that the FBI continues to investigate. The 69-year-old Golubsky is under home arrest and appeared in court dressed in a navy blue suit, tie, and leather loafers. He had no comment for reporters. The former homicide detective was indicted last month on charges that he violated the civil rights of at least two women by raping and kidnapping them. His next court appearance is set for December 14th. Attorneys General from Missouri and five other states made arguments before a federal judge in St. Louis yesterday in a lawsuit to block the Biden administration's student debt relief plan. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has more. The attorneys general argue that forgiving debts would create lost revenue for states and agencies who service that debt. Up to $500 billion could be wiped off the books under the proposal from President Joe Biden. Borrowers with income of $125,000 or less could have $10,000 forgiven. Pell Grant recipients could receive up to $20,000 in relief. U.S. District Judge Henry Autry did not render a decision on the attorney's request for a temporary restraining order to block the loan relief. He did not say when he would issue his ruling. A new law requires Kansas schools to get a parent's permission before administering any non-academic survey or questionnaire. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports that's causing confusion and putting some lessons on hold. The provision is part of a school funding law passed by Kansas lawmakers last spring. It was aimed primarily at surveys that gauge student attitudes on everything from drug use to mental health. But Leah Flyter of the Kansas Association of School Boards says teachers are worried that even routine worksheets could run afoul of the law. If it says, what did you do on your summer vacation? They're concerned that somebody's going to say, well, you can't ask my kids that because, you know, that says too much about our family structure. Supporters of the law raised concerns about probing questions related to students' religious or political beliefs. Education officials say schools need parental permission if they plan to collect and retain any personal data. Republican Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt has filed many open records requests to Missouri schools recently. While public schools and universities are compelled to respond to records requests because they're government institutions, some advocates are concerned that the requests are an attempt to limit academic freedom. Tessa Weinberg is a reporter for the Missouri Independent. She joined me over Zoom to tell me why. So just to start off, can you explain what the Missouri Sunshine Law is? Yeah, the Missouri Sunshine Law um, is a way for members of the public, journalists, um, really anyone to request um, open records um, and basically any kind of government entity um, that's supported by taxpayer dollars is subject to the Sunshine Law. Um, there are, are caveats um, with what you can be provided and certain things can be exempt um, but for the most part, you know, these are your taxpayer state funded, you know, agencies. And so, you know, they're acting in the public's interest. And so their records and their business minutes of their public meetings are, you know, public records that the public um, has a right to see. So what requests did Schmidt file? Yeah. So the Missouri Attorney General's office um, in June had filed two open records requests with the University of Missouri 
uh, under the state sunshine law. Um, the first sent in early June had asked for um, you know, a little over three years worth of emails from two um, university staff and a postdoctoral researcher. Um, and it was asking for emails uh, that had certain keywords. Some of them were social emotional learning, positive school climate, middle school echo, um, and it appeared to be related specifically to a um, program they have that helps teachers basically learn best practices and research around social emotional learning to bring that back to the classroom and implement that. And then a week and a half later in June, the attorney general's office sent a second Sunshine Law request that was asking for um, emails with certain keywords again, um, four years worth of emails with keywords like fact checking um, and fake news. And that one um, targeted emails from two journalism professors in the School of Journalism at Mizzou and um, a, the executive editor of PolitiFact, a fact-checking website. And that one appeared to be targeted to um, basically a partnership the school journalism used to have where they taught a class on fact-checking and students would fact-check Missouri politicians' statements. That work would get published on PolitiFact and the Columbia Missourians website. And in full transparency, when I was a student back at Missouri, the journalism school, that was a class I took during my time there. So what has Schmidt's office said about why they're making these requests? It's been hard to get clarity from them about, you know, what spurred these, what exactly they're looking for. You know, under the Sunshine Law, you do not have to stipulate, you know, the reason for your request or, you know, why you're seeking these records per se. Uh, you know, the Attorney General's office did not respond to requests for comment um, for my story. You know, I want to shout out the Columbia Missourian, who was the first to report on the records request regarding um, the PolitiFact partnership at the School of Journalism. And in to the Columbia Missourian, to the Kansas City Star, the Attorney General's office simply said, you know, we're trying to get to the bottom of the fact-checking process and that the request speaks for itself. Um, so it's kind of still left a lot of question marks of, you know, why exactly they're interested in these emails, these topics, and, you know, what they plan to do with these records. So in your story, you mention that this isn't the first time that Schmidt's office has sent records requests to schools in Missouri, right? Over the course of the pandemic, you know, Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who's also, um, you know, running for U.S. Senate, has made schools um, really a huge focus of his office and his campaign. Um, you know, he has sued dozens um, of schools over the course of the pandemic regarding their mitigation measures and mask mandates. Um, and he's also sent, you know, a flurry of records requests to school districts asking for things like textbook titles or, you know, contracts they have with consultants related to diversity and equity work. Um, and so we've seen that over the course of the pandemic of a really heavy scrutiny on our kind of K through 12 school districts. Um, and this seemed kind of a, a, a new area of turning that attention to universities as well. And why are advocates for academic freedom concerned about these requests? Yeah, advocates I spoke with um, were, you know, kind of shocked to see these requests um, coming from a state official. Um, and they were really concerned about, you know, what this means for academic freedom of professors and researchers and students on these campuses. Um, and we're, you know, concerned that, you know, if a state actor is asking for, you know, materials like this that can really contain, you know, discussions around research um, in one of the requests that was related to the social emotional learning. The University of Missouri did provide, you know, over an 8,000 page PDF that included you know, emails that documented grant proposals, research findings, and, you know, kind of the, just the day-to-day -day of scheduling this research program. 
And advocates I spoke to said, you know, in order to carry out the mission of a university, um, you know, for research and the public interest, um, it's crucial that they have just free and open discussion and freedom to have these discussions, to um, teach without fear of oversight or censorship, um, especially from a governmental entity. And so they expressed a real concern seeing these requests um, and worried that this could have a chilling effect on, um, you know, free speech, what professors feel like they can teach. Um, if it's maybe a topic that, you know, a state actor could disagree with or something that might be considered controversial. So when a university receives a records request, how do they navigate that while still respecting academic freedom? Yeah, I think that's a really thorny issue. Um, You know, these universities are, you know, if they're a public university, they're receiving state funding, you know, they are you know, public entities. And so they are subject to the Sunshine Law. And, you know, that was something when I asked the University of Missouri, you know, did you take any steps to maybe take into consideration the academic freedom of your professors or your students who, you know, their emails were caught caught up in these requests? Um, You know, they simply reiterated that they follow the Sunshine Law and what it asked them to give, they give. Um, That's interesting because in some other states, it's handled a little bit differently. Um, When I spoke with the AUP, they pointed to states like Virginia and Arizona, that in different instances in those states when researchers um, at universities' emails were asked for, courts actually blocked those requests um, and, you know, upheld that their emails could not be handed over in that way. Um, And, you know, one of the researchers that was named in one of these requests related to social emotional learning was a postdoctoral researcher. Um, She said she had not been made aware of the records request or, you know, that her emails had been handed over as part of it until the independent contacted her. And so, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting question of, you know, having to follow the law, but also realizing that professors and students have this academic freedom, not just to the state, but to the university as well. Why might Schmidt be interested in social emotional learning and the other topics he's made records requests about? Yeah, social emotional learning has kind of become a hot button issue and tied to things like critical race theory in the last few years. Um, You know, social emotional learning is this academic concept that really aims to bolster kids' social and emotional skills like self-efficacy and grit. Um, You know, it kind of has gotten caught in his crosshairs before when he subpoenaed school districts um, across the state related to student, student surveys they had issued. Um, And it was at the urging of a Georgia legal nonprofit who had, um, you know, sent examples of these surveys and they, you know, said that social emotional learning was just kind of thinly veiled political indoctrination. Um, And it's really kind of come under scrutiny across the country. It's often brought up when discussing critical race theory. Um, But districts I've talked to in the past, you know, have said that they've implemented, you know, aspects of social emotional learning to really be taking a pulse of how their students are feeling, especially as we've gone through the pandemic, and to basically just make sure they're building their students up to meet those, you know, inevitable challenges they'll face and develop things like their self-esteem, their ability to persevere, and to ensure that they're having kind of a two-way dialogue with students so they can, you know, make classrooms and school just a place that is accepting of their students, um, kind of from all the backgrounds that they come from. Um, and so it's one of those things that I think sometimes districts would argue is misconstrued, whereas, you know, sometimes parents and other groups you know, feel like they want to see really what does this mean? How is it affecting my students and kind of get to the bottom of how that's being implemented in maybe their kid's classroom. That was Missouri Independent reporter Tessa Weinberg. You can read her story at kcur.org or at missouriindependent.com. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. On Thursday, September 15th, FBI agents arrested a former police detective on charges that he raped, sexually assaulted, and kidnapped two women in the 90s. And this was a big deal. He was known on the street for messing with women that were on the street. She told me don't ever go around her because he was the devil. She called him a snake. But it's not over. It's still not over because he got arrested. He got to get convicted. Roger Galuspe should pay his debt. I'm Peggy Lowe, and I've been reporting on former Kansas City, Kansas police detective Roger Golubsky and corruption within that department for the past two years, which is why I know that these federal charges are just a tiny piece of a decades-long story. In 1994, Roger Golubsky put an innocent man in prison for 23 years. There was nothing to tie me to this crime, nothing. They made up the whole entire thing. And it wasn't until 2017 when that man was exonerated and a list of murdered and missing women appeared that people in power started to realize how deep this story went. You understand that we're accusing you of terrorizing black women in Kansas City, Kansas for decades, correct? On the advice of my attorney, I invoked my Fifth Amendment constitutional rights. After I heard about all these women and the things that went on, that was one thing that I was really scared about because I'm like, this man is a homicide detective. Death is nothing to him. Her murder was never solved, right? No. For decades, Roger Golubsky used his badge to exploit women and it was an open secret. They saw this, what he did right before their eyes. And the common refrain was, well, that's Roger being Roger. But there were people in Kansas City, Kansas, who tried to sound the alarm. It's just that not enough people listened. Overlooked is a new investigative podcast from KCUR Studios and NPR's Midwest Newsroom where we're going to dive into the whole story. So the FBI said he might be connected to the murders of how many people? Girl, they said a lot. And meet the people leading this movement, demanding justice and accountability. Rhonda Tribune, whose family is here with us today. She was murdered on October 8th, 1998. My sister can't speak, none of the women can speak, so we have to be their voice. We have to be their voice. Overlooked. Subscribe now.